This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Critics at Large, a new podcast from The New Yorker. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And I'm Nomi Fry. Hello, my friends. Hey. Hello. We are all staff writers at The New Yorker, and each week on this show, we make sense of what's happening in the culture right now and how we got here. And so today, we are talking about a writer I love, John le Carré, king of the literary spy thriller. Um, you know, I've been reading Le Carré for years at this point, also listening to him on audiobook. I, I think he makes a great... Le, the Le Carré oeuvre is just <laughs> great in in audio form, I will say. Um and I'm, t- I'm totally addicted, basically. You know, I, I try to I try to pace them out so that I don't just race through all of his books. Um, so just to, you know, bring in anyone who has not been a Le Carre head. I know I know not everyone <laughs> in this very room is a Le Carre head, but we're going right. to get there. Right. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, John Le Carre, the pen name of David Cornwell. Um, Le Carre was a pseudonym that he adopted when he began to write his books because when he began to write, he himself was a spy. He worked both for MI5 domestically and MI6 abroad in Bonn, Germany, where he was when he published The Spy Who Came In From the Cold in 1963, his third novel that shot up everywhere on bestseller lists around the world. Um, And ever since then, he's really been synonymous with with the genre up until his death in 2020. Um, You know, I'd say that Le Carre has been essential in shaping the very fabric of the modern spy thriller. So there's a reason we're talking about him right now. This month, there are a couple of different retrospectives about him that take a look at his life. There's a documentary directed by Errol Morris on Apple TV Plus that's out next week called The Pigeon Tunnel. And there's also a new book coming out by Le Carre's biographer, Adam Sisman, called The Secret Life of John Le Carre. Ooh, yes. secret. If all books were titled The Secret Life of... <laughs> they would simply Whoever. fly, fly off, off the, the shelves. The secret life of the great Gatsby. The yes. secret life mm. of Elon Musk. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is a very intriguing premise because Adam Sisman in 2015 published The Life of John le Carre, mm. his, his actual full biography of John le Carre, and now— Seemingly full. Seemingly full. And yet. And yet, now he has come out with what he is calling a secret annex— also very spy-like. Very spy-like, A secret yes. annex, all this other information, which basically what it is is John le Carre's sex life, excised from the biography, now available as a book of its own. So today we're talking about le Carre 
and how his own biography has shaped the spy thriller. And I want to talk about, you know, some of the more intimate details that are revealed about his personal life and, and why do we even care? Does this knowledge about a writer actually help us understand their work better? Does it diminish it? Let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So to start off, do you guys enjoy a good thriller? You know, are you going to the movies when a Bourne drops, a new Bond drops? Mm-hmm. Like, where where do you stand in relation to thriller as a genre? Yeah, I definitely have seen many a thriller in my lifetime, at least in my sort of growing up. There's a certain, like, gender aspect to it. But, you know, the spy is kind of a dude's rock figure. He's like, you know, especially with Bond, it's like gets all the women, does cool things with explosions. I feel like I've gone to see those movies, the Bourne movies and the Bond movies, with my friends a lot. And then, as I think about it, young men of my age grew up with the video game GoldenEye, mm. which was oh, based on the, the Pierce Brosnan Bond. Huh. And it was like on like whatever, Nintendo 64 and then whatever. Like, over and over, I can imagine myself in my friend Tim's attic just like <laughs> shooting Shout out Tim. things. Shout out to Tim. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that was like actually a pretty big part of my sort of induction into this genre. But um, as a reader, less so. I'm weirdly indifferent, <laughs> I have to admit, which is strange because I'm not a snob about genre fiction. Like, I love noir, you know, I love the crime novel. And so one would think maybe that I would also be into thrillers. But would something like Le Carre or The Burn Identity or even Bond, something that has kept me away was the mixing of these um, individual emotions and desires and uh, the uglier, uglier feelings, let's call it, with politics or with ideology, which I, I don't care about the CIA. I care more about people making bad decisions because of individual failings and because of, like, untoward desires and so on that you can find in a crime novel more than I do about, like, I'm actually, you know, the Russians are running me. Mm. I, I don't, I, it's just, a, mm-hmm. it's a personal, oh, no, me, yes. it's a personal preference. How I wish to convert you. Uh, no, listen, I, I'm, I, do it now. Come I know, I'm just, I'm just trying to plot out my game for the next, you know, <laughs> for how over the, the next hour or whatever, well, I can, I can slowly, you know, basically I can turn you and run you as an agent. Exactly. Like, no, I? I mean, I mean, listen, we've already, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, um, because I've, the process has already begun. Uh, in the sense that I... You're getting John le Carreified. Well, in, in preparation for discussing uh, Le Carre on today's episode, I read my first Le Carre. Okay, so which one was it and what did you think? I okay. mean, we okay. kind of know what you thought, but, yeah. but which one was it? Okay, so uh, I read Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I should also note this was a huge bestseller when it came out in 1974. Uh, extremely popular book. Um and so it's not like some rarefied thing that like it's not like, you know, high theory or something. And yet it had that thing that because it has all of these like moving parts, uh, it, it's I felt a little bit stupid reading it <laughs> because I felt confused. OK, so so do you think that you could describe the plot of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or is or oh is, or, is the, or or 
Should I put you out of your misery? Well, I, I don't want to. I mean, uh, how are we in relation to spoilers? I know it's a book that came out in 1974. <laughs> we don't. But, we do not believe been, in spoilers on this and pod. It's been re- and it's been, yeah, made into numerous adaptations. I think we are generally, we don't, come on. Okay. Spoilers are yeah. for rubes, and yeah. we don't believe yeah. in them. Except, yeah, I mean, that, except that, you know, there's a difference between a synopsis and a summary. And, you know, I <laughs> wow. would say if I, were, if I were being called in by myself as host to just give a very quick summary of Tinker Taylor, yes. I would say, all right, in MI6, there is the, – MI6 has a problem. There's a mole, a term, by the way, that was coined by John le Carré. Mm-hmm. There is someone who is a double agent. Someone is leaking secrets from the British – intelligence to the Russians. How do we find out who it is? Well, George Smiley, retired spy, middle-aged man, is brought back in to try to ferret out who this mole is. And what then ensues is, you know, the, the attempt to figure out who's leaking the secrets. However, the book is structured in I think, a wonderfully confusing way where you open for reasons that are frankly baffling for a very long time in an English boarding school in the countryside. What are we doing in the English countryside, et cetera? It's, 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 you don't really understand how to properly summarize the book until you're basically almost at the end of the book. Yeah. I mean, maybe I just need to learn psychologically to deal better with my confusion, I guess, <laughs> where I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. Um, What's going on? What's going on? What's going on now? What's going on? I got it. And, you know, and I was I was I was talking to my husband about it as I was reading it. And I said, you know what? This reminds me of a little bit not to be like an idiot and compare everything to succession, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but it kind of reminded me of watching succession where there's which in in its own way is a kind of like a story of consistent double crossing. Right. Mm. And like who's running who and like. We didn't always know, you know, sometimes it was shifting consistently. Well, again, to me, this is perhaps a sign of success. I mean, I'm just going to come in and make the case for a second, which is, you know, as we often like to say of writers, especially great writers, they teach us how to read them. Mm. John Le Carre, you're going to enter a murky universe that is not decipherable. Loyalties are hard to understand. Um, Motives can be hard to understand. Plot can even be hard to understand, yeah. although I do think he is a master of plot and everything gets shaken out in due course. Yeah. One thing I love about John Le Carré, if we can just operate on the most basic level, is that he's a great writer. There yeah, are, he's a the great writer. The sentences are very good. And he's I, a great writer. The sentences are so wonderful. The descriptions of people are so sharp. Everything is observed just so. I do get the impression when I read his books that the world he has very consciously and carefully made exists and that he is, in fact, just describing it, whereas, of course, he's running all over the place, you know, putting the pieces together himself and making the set of the novel. Mm -hmm. But by the time you get to the set, it's really perfectly there. Vincent, what did you think? So as part of this sort of um, Alex-directed book club, I (laughs) took on um, A Perfect Spy, which is, uh, you know, the great autobiographical work of Le Carre uh, from 1986. And it's about a guy shows up at a boarding house. Um, his name, by the way, is Magnus Pym. Yeah. Can we take a second with Magnus Pym? It, there, there's so much going on. And then, yes, then it goes back to Vienna where uh, Pym's wife is waiting for him, um, not understanding where he is. We're sort of – she's remembering things and there are always like tense issues. So there is this like sort of glorious confusion. I find that it's kept together by this like amazingly ambivalent 
third-person narrator mm. who um, uh, uses free indirect discourse or what people call like the close third person to amazing effect. So sometimes their sentence is like um, uh, Magnus's wife thinking like um, Magnus congratulated me on, on my cooking that night. And it's like Magnus always congratulates people or something like that. And it's like, okay, so whose sentence is that second one? Is that the, is that a, the, the blank statement of a narrator? Is that the, the sort of deep historical thinking of the wife? And it, it because of, because the narrator maintains this um, it's not, Objectivity, because we're always floating in and out well, of people's heads. Well, it's indirect discourse, right? It, exactly. Yeah. It's just it's a, it's a sort of ambiguous authority. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. ambiguous authority. That's so well said. I mean, there if there's a there's a line I just want to read from please, the beginning please. of A Perfect Spy because I think it gets at some of what I love about Lucari's writing so well and exactly what you're describing, Vincent. Like, who is this voice? Right. Who is leading us through this story? You know, who is our handler in this right. situation? <laughs> um, so so Magnus has just arrived in the countryside. This is the very first paragraph of the book. Um, and we hear that his stride was agile, his body forward sloping in the best tradition of the Anglo-Saxon administrative class. In the same attitude, whether static or in motion, Englishmen have hoisted flags over distant colonies, discovered the sources of great rivers, stood on the decks of sinking ships. So that's irony. That's the Lucario yeah. irony. We get the glory of empire and we get it punctured within the same sentence. You I know? love that. Empire is over. This is the Lucario world. Empire is over and yet these people still feel the sense of loyalty to question mark what what is it that they are yeah, serving yeah to an ideal that's that is crumbled or is in the process of crumbling so guys what are some ways that Lucare's work has shaped the spy thriller i mean when i think about this question what comes to mind is this sense of like you know bringing all of the big issues of international politics into play i mean like i don't know if you've read or seen the movie of the constant gardener which is about big pharma and how it can just destroy people in its quest for dominance or, you know, like he's going after the big stuff. Like he's going after capitalism. He's going after greed. He's going after the system. Um, You know, like Mm -hmm. to me, he's changed the spy thriller from being just kind of like a silly thing where someone wants to destroy the world in, you know, like their igloo wherever they're living in, you know, name Bond film to – actually the real mechanisms of power that exist in our world, like bringing them to play in his books, if that makes any sense at all. Um, You know, Nomi, I want to also just, I'm thinking about something you said before. Mm -hmm. Like, we have very different um, perspectives on the question of, like, the bigger political issues in the spy thriller. Okay. I I totally respect where you're coming from. You want a noir where it's just, you know, love, lust, money, sex, and death. <laughs> you really do get me. Yeah. And I like that. I like that, I that too. Order, I don't care, quote unquote, I don't care about the CIA. Well, <laughs> famously, and nobody does not famously, care about I the CIA. Famously, I do not care. Don't come get me. I love the I'm going to leave that CIA please. aside. But what I care about is this question of loyalty and self. I do think that in these books, we are especially the great ones of the Cold War, what he's trying to do is to get to the heart of this thing that is English identity, which I'm putting in scare quotes yeah. because, of course, English identity itself is a murky quantity. What is that? Mm. What are you serving? For what purpose is this whole operation being run? I mean, John le Carre famously, you know, comes into the scene with a spy who came in from the cold, which is about a really disillusioned, disaffected man. Um, that book is 
dark. It is gritty. It is depressing. This is at the heyday of James Bond when the idea was like, you know, cool, you can run around the world sleeping with women in little skimpy bikinis, taking down the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Drinking martinis. Drinking martinis. Let us please not forget that. Um, You know, like a spy does. Like a spy does. And this question of loyalty, who you serve, who your master is, who, what your ideals are, if you even have any, um, you know, these two are parts of the human experience. And the framework around that that LeCarrie gives us takes, you know, for me, just hits, really hits. So how do we square the care a writer takes in his fiction with the salacious details of a rather sloppy emotional life? We will try to get to the bottom of it. That's in a minute on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So, you know, mixed loyalties, divided loyalties, this ambivalent narrator, it all leads us back to Le Carre. Who is that voice behind these books? Um, You know, we're getting some attempts at an answer this month with the Errol Morris documentary, The Pigeon Tunnel, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and with Adam Sisman's book. So let's start with The Pigeon Tunnel. Um, This is coming out on Apple TV on October 20th. What did you guys think of it? Um, I didn't love it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Basically, it's, you know, in in the Errol Morris tradition, it's this, you know, kind of the 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 meat, I guess, of of uh, of the documentary is an interview or a series of interviews um, where Morris unseen kind of asks Peppers like a with questions. memoir. You say none of it's true. It's as I imagined it. When I was in MI6, it wasn't enough for me. So what I did was reinvent the secret world and fill my own people with it. Why 
Why is betrayal an important concept to you? It has a long family background. Writing is a journey of self-discovery. I felt like there were a lot of bells and whistles that ended up leaving us with not a ton of substance. A lot of kind of like different camera angles to present Le Carre as he was doing the interview from below, from above, from the side, you know, and in a sort of like it's supposed to be the sort of like perhaps metaphorically, I guess, to capture the man who is an enigma in some senses and a spy with divided, you know, from all different angles. And I'm like, no, it's just a man sitting at a table, <laughs> you know, right. talking. It's very shattered mirror. This, it's very, very shattered. And, I, and I'm, it's very dramatic. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're, you're um, trying to show us that there's something revelatory about this. But in fact, I don't think there are any new, especially new stories about Licorée's life. Uh, there's a lot of reenactments of bits from from Licorée's novels. Yeah, there are that, clips from adaptations and there are reenactments of his, of his life. life. Of his life, I'm of sorry. Life. Yeah, right. there are reenactments. It's kind of a collage. It's a collage. A, it's a bit of a collage. <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. his life with his father, um, Ronnie, who is a con man, who is a right. very notable con man. This yeah. is what's depicted also in A Perfect Spy. Yeah. Um, who, you know, basically um, enlisted his sons in, in this whole world. Mm-hmm. Vincent, what did you think? I think I might be the person who liked this movie most Mm. of us. Partially because I do not really retain plot a lot in movies. Movies are about visuals and sound design. And if you, I'm not a person who's ever been like a a quote rememberer in movies. That's the first thing I miss. So this is what, oh my God, because the thriller is all about plot. Even thrillers, like I like, I I don't not like them, but I'm going to talk about that explosion or whatever. I'm like, the first thing I'm going to forget is like even the nationality of the big bad person. Like, you know, it's Russia. It's, I don't fucking know. Um, (laughs) I just, so you two don't care about the CIA, is what you're saying. I I mean, if the CIA guy looks like, let's all take a poll at the end and say, like, who does or doesn't care about the CIA? Um, but so I did This is not, all a cover for right. me being like run by the CIA. <laughs> yeah, no, means obviously I'm CIA. Like, at this point it's very yeah. clear that you're CIA. Yeah. <laughs> I did not think of this as a movie about about in quotes. This which is like the great troubled sort of article of all literature to me. About mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lake Array or David Cornwell or whoever mm-hmm. we want to talk. It's a it really is about subjecthood. And investigation into another person. And and in some way, Le Carre is like the perfect person for Errol Morris to do his thing about because he's like, you know, he is the interviewer. Whereas Le, Le Carre is more like the interrogator, hmm. right? And so there's this like this like boxing match between them. At the very beginning of the movie, my favorite, my favorite mo- moment of the movie that I just carried it around with me as I watched it is uh, Errol Morris is reminding Le Carre that like, you know how you asked me like, who are you? And what did you mean by that? You asked me about the nature of our relationship. I needed to know who I was talking to. Were you my friend across the fire? Who are you? And if I can't answer that question? And Lake Ray's like, well, I can't engage in a conversation like this. And I I think he's thinking about it almost adversarially, like Mm -hmm. an investigation of this kind, Mm -hmm. without knowing who the other person is. It seemed to me... Uh, to be Errol Morris trying to um, make visible, make manifest the experience 
of what it must be like to be a, a protagonist of one of these novels, right? What's real, what's not? What is a what is a person like? How can I, through my medium, the mm-hmm. interview, do something like what happens over the course, this unfolding that happens over the course of, of these books? Right. Okay. So, you know, there is this, th- th- I think we can all agree that the theme of the movie or one of the themes of the movie is illusion. Like in its visual style, as Nomi described, in the interview style that you're describing, Vincent, there is this sense of an illusion is being made. You know, who is this figure behind the curtain or whatever this it is? Man. This masked man. Yeah, there's this framing that, you know, throughout the movie, um, John LeCurry talks about how people are either string pullers or they're dupes. You know, you're mm-hmm. either you're either fooling someone or you're the one being fooled. Um, and he's really cagey with Errol Morris in an interesting way. Like, this is a man who really is giving almost nothing away at all. Um, give me nothing, as they say. Yeah, give me nothing. And... <laughs> Again, it comes – I think people have always wanted to know – like, first of all, he has a pseudonym. Sexy, appealing, curious. It was Great pseudonym. Yeah, and a great pseudonym was rumored to have a pseudonym because of his spy work. Like, no, in fact, he needed to have a pseudonym because he couldn't publish his own – under his own name while he was working and, you know, while he was working for the government. Um, But, right, it's like I think there's an aspect in which we almost forget that this is the writer and not the spy in – Yeah, because he's so cagey. And so, you know, knowing how private he was and how he wants to really say almost nothing of substance about his life in a movie like this one, which, as you guys have said, has to lean really heavily on either reenactments or a lot of scenes of movies that are adaptations of his books. So did you read The Secret Life of John le Carre, this new Adam Sisman book? What did you think? I did read it. And I thought so much so, uh, oh, good, because I did yeah, too. Yeah, the secret I did life, too. Yeah, we, oh we my God, there's a book so about like, the secret sex so life of someone, thoughts. and I'm not going to read it. Are you kidding? <laughs> um, the, the second uh, and sort of lost title of this podcast is I Have Thoughts. Um, <laughs> the Secret Life of John LeCarré, uh, Adam Sisman. It, it is, it's sort of given to us as a kind of outtakes. You know, Sisman says, I wrote this biography. Uh, I learned so much that I couldn't say, and he makes sure to tell us several times that, like Hooray told him, feel free to say whatever you want when I'm dead. And so he um, takes that opportunity and gives us this very small book that's pretty easy to get through in really, I mean, less than what you think of one sitting. You can rake your eyes across these pages and get this information very quickly um, about various affairs and the ways that he worked his affairs, like you might work a kind of CIA operation, you know? I mean, I love a minor work, a minor, <laughs> I, I agree about a minor I agree gossipy about work. It reminded me <laughs> a little bit of when I found a copy of – similarly, it was an addendum situation where Albert Goldman's big Elvis definitive to its time, at least, um, Elvis biography came out in 1981. And then 10 years after, he published a slim paperback <laughs> – Titled Elvis, The Last 24 Hours, Mm. um, which was about Elvis's last 24 hours that contained a lot of revelations about like moment by moment. And then he sat on the toilet and then like he slumped (laughs) over, you know, and I devoured that shit, you know, even though it's like, who cares? But so I, I, I love that. I care that too. I care. That's who. Um, So So did you love this? I mean, I didn't love it, but I (laughs) tore through it. 
I love that, but I don't love this. I mean, I, you this know what? This is less interesting than I mean, Elvis' I don't think, like, final shit. If I, I mean, I don't love it. I can't say that I love it because I don't think that it serves – it's 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 a claims to serve an elevated function and the world of Licoré is a bit overblown. Right. Sisman says this is key to understanding his fiction. Eh, eh. Yeah, I have my I have my own – I have my own yeah. – uh, much like you, Alex, I didn't feel, I wasn't convinced by this is the key to his fiction gambit. That said, I love to learn that Le Carre was like a toxic love bomber. Yeah, you know? he was a love, I mean, bomber. <laughs> to, love bomber. That's not use, what I would have expected, I, by the way. Can you also, no, exactly. I, to, I mean, he's so weak and pathetic. Please define like, our terms. Can you define what a love bomber is? He is a compulsive, was, R.I.P., uh, <laughs> according to this book, a compulsive womanizer who courted woman after woman immediately was like you're the only one for me <laughs> i feel you know your 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 soft breast from across the atlantic you know beckons yes, uh, yes. like never like no no other women's soft breasts across the atlantic could ever beckon <laughs> okay you know, uh, he wrote Better than that. I want people oh my to God. understand that even the yeah. love letters were better than love no, letters. No, but were better but, than but I have to say they're, it, they're good love letters. But they're fine. They're fine. But maybe the their repetitiveness because you see him no, we doing will not give an inch. He he was very easy on the I love yous. Like he was very that quick. Is certainly the true. finger on the trigger quick of to like the L word. Uh, my lord. You're like the only one for me mm-hmm. again. I'm like again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like now with the au pair. I'm like what now? Mm-hmm. You know what's that now? Now like a random woman from L. A. who writes him a fan note. That was and, my favorite actually. And suddenly An they correspond. Yeah, they correspond yeah. for two years without meeting. Whatever. It's it's not it's not a sin, I guess. But it just seemed like a repetitive compulsion. So in light of this new information about John le Carré, we're going to talk about the sex life of one of the most famous spies of all, James Bond. And we'll talk about the FX show The Americans, one of the great recent entries into the spy thriller. This is Critics at Large from The New Yorker. Stick around. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitch. Um, who should be the mayor of New York? We all support yeah, that. we support that. Very <laughs> <laughs> <Right> nice. <laughs> Nikki. Yes. It's been really great Chill being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've been talking about the new details of John le Carre's private life that emerge in these texts. And I think in light of the way that his work has been so fundamental in shaping our idea of the spy thriller as a genre, you know, I'm interested in tracing these ideas of sex and intimacy and lust 
across the spy, the idea of the spy as it exists in our media. So there is this great contrast between the Ian Fleming-style James Bond spy and the John le Carré George Smiley spy. You know, one is a sex pot. He gets all the women. He's wearing a Speedo. He's in the Bahamas. He's taking down nefarious um, evil people whose names are things like Dr. No. <laughs> um, and it's all very glamorous and it's all very fun and it's a romp. And in the Le Carre world, his main – George Smiley is is cuckolded by his wife who's off having affairs with his colleagues and, you know – And who else? And a variety of else. others, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and he himself is certainly past his prime or seems to be. Uh, and yet the other thing that strikes me about the Adam Sisman book – is that, like, actually John le Carré himself was trying to live that life? Like Totally. David, like, there's, it's like John le Carré was a, was a further double agent. Like, okay, he's David Cornwell, but he's playing John le Carré the writer. But John <laughs> le Carré the writer is a cover for David Cornwell, who's having all these affairs. So mm. he's trying to live the James Bond right. prototype in his own private life while he's, you know, a serious writer under this pen name. Right. Yes. In in his life, he enacted the sort of literary change that he brought into being. Yes. Right. You know, what's what's interesting is that sex is so key to the Bond thing. I mean, Vincent Huge. Bond was this. Is, it's all, do you it's have all a Bond, about Do you have sex. a ranking of Bond girls in your head, you know, that we oh, should gosh. know about? I feel is like it? I hope not. <laughs> no, I do not. Yeah, I like, answer that, the answer to that is like no. But, be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Would be amazing if you pulled out like the t- your if twenty like, rank. If you're just Bond like pussy girls. galore, <laughs> really, yeah. Just like went into my backpack and it's yeah. like printer paper. Like I'm glad you asked. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't even know the names of them. I know that there's one that's called that. I'm not going to say that, but yeah, you can say it. P- that's your name. P word galore. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a p word. P word galore. galore. Yeah, this is this is 2023. In case anyone didn't know, um, and now she's called P word galore. So. Yeah. That sounds P word sounds worse. Well, Uh, I I know that you're a huge fan of the Americans. You know, like that's that's like again. You know, I I would say that the spy genre has gone from the kind of beachy um, bikini Bond thing to a much darker place. Like Bond himself, you know, now he's sad Bond. Um, Mm -hmm. He's sad, serious Bond. And yes, he will save the world, but at what cost? Right. Um, What personal cost? Emotional cost? Like, I love Casino Royale. I thought that was a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, Ava Green, wonderful in it. Um, Daniel Craig. That's one I have seen. Yeah. Great Jeffrey Wright cameo. Tortured in a chair. Mm -hmm. Strapped into a chair. Is that something that happens in it? I cannot remember. Yeah, that. wasn't he like tortured in a chair? Sounds like right. he was strapped to a chair and only his skivvies. Oh God! As far as I can recall, I, I told you I can't remember plot. I remember there was a really nice scene at a at a at a card table. Yeah, that's, I'm thinking more the of the card table that. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, it's the torture that stuck with you, Nomi. And, fa- and <laughs> <laughs> fairly the so. The sexy okay. torture, yeah. But like clearly, intimacy, sex, and romance are key to the spy thriller. Um, like, where does the Americans fit in? this spectrum well the americans it's such an amazing show it's one of my favorite shows that i've ever watched really like in sort of peak tv or whatever it stars matthew reese and carrie russell two russian spies who are embedded as sort of perfect suburban subjects in sort of suburban washington dc and so their couple their couplehood is even a work of sort of mutual spycraft on which they sort of um kind of fall into this kind of forced love that is always fraught with um, doubts on either side. 
I'm saying we might be blown. And I'm saying if they are watching us, we can't kill Timoshev. I'm also saying we are Philip and Elizabeth Jennings. We have been for a very long time. So why don't we get ahead of this? And why don't we make the first move and offer ourselves to them? We could get a lot of money, three million for Timoshev, three million for us. We just get relocated, take the good life and be happy. Are you joking? Is this a joke? No. You want to betray our country? Well, after everything we've done, I don't think it's such a betrayal. Defecting to America? America's not so bad. We've been here a long time. What's, what's so bad about it, you know? The electricity works all the time. Food's pretty great. Closet space. Is that know. what you care about? No, I care about everything. Not the motherland. I do, but our family comes first. And it the, the show, so in that way, it uses romance as almost a metaphor for spycraft. And then also, there are these moments where one or the other of them has to engage in a kind of affair with someone else on this on similar grounds. Um, there's a woman who works in a government agency that the Matthew Reese character has to sort of pry information out of. Like he has to almost like method act his way into a kind of affection, a kind of love. As opposed to the Bond archetype of someone who's like closed and poised and always knows what he's doing, you see spy work as like a kind of forced openness that That sort of makes the the, the thing go. Yeah, that sounds really like, okay, now I'm going to go home and watch this. I've never watched The Americans. Oh, you have a feast. feast It's really, really good. Yeah, it does make me think that this is, you know, one question I'm asking is why is sex and love so much part of the archetype that we all have of the spy game. Um, I mean, I get that in Bond it's about the glamour, but I also think it has to do with is there a kernel of truth in the life of a spy? You know, when you're pretending and playing at being so many different things, love is usually the place or I guess is one place where the truth must out. You know, I'm thinking about another show which I am – totally obsessed with called The Bureau. It's a French TV show that oh, I... I haven't watched this yet. You told me about you've, this. You've written about this. To you. Yes. You've I mean, I, it I, for the magazine. I rarely waste, waste an opportunity to recommend The Bureau. Um, you know, the thing I love about The Bureau is if you are into kind of like the grit of the spy world, the total lack of glamour, the huge moral question mark about like, why are we even doing this? Um, then The Bureau is very much for you. It's about kind of a French equivalent of the CIA uh, where people assume names and go out into the field under assumed identities and, you know. But there's just like a really solid love story at the heart (laughs) of it. And like, you know, why is the character, this, this particular spy, throwing caution to the wind and continuing to live a double life even when he's supposed to hang all that up like for love (laughs) yeah i mean love can be you know where on the one hand the 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 spy craft breaks down right where the kernel of truth is is revealed and on the other hand these questions of love and and sex uh can also be the place that mirrors the world of spycraft, right Mm -hmm. as as we we saw in the biography you know that's tried to make the claim that, you know, once Licoré, uh hung up his hat as a spy, that's when he started to compulsively have affairs because he was missing 
the intrigue, right? Because he was missing the betrayal, because he was missing the the high drama of like, I love you. Oh, I actually love someone else. Oh, I'm hiding this from my wife, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which I don't know if I totally buy. But that was at least the claim that there's a that there's a parallel between these worlds. Yeah, I'm not convinced that it was because of it, um, but definitely the way that he operated as a lover, where letters had to be left in dead boxes, mm-hmm. and you know everyone had to go under an assumed name, houses. and you, you yeah. Know, yeah, safe houses, and right. Um, you know the right the general sneaking around, the, the sneaking euphoria around. of sneaking around, and then of course these questions of betrayal and loyalty as well. You know there is this continuous theme in Lacarie's work about betrayal, who is being betrayed and why. And now we find out that he was a traitor basically in his private in life. Long, yeah. yeah. Um, like, do, do you guys feel that you understand the work better now that some of the more, shall we say, salacious details of his private life have been revealed? I don't think so. I think that, you know, the promise of any kind of biography, whether it be sort of authorized or authoritative or in this case as you say Nomi it's the sort of like uh, Elvis the last 24 hours Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, yeah minor gossipy work yeah. whatever exactly um, is to create a, a a parallel but not sort of um, it's mutually not implicated key. literature it's its own it's, literature yeah it's not the key to solve either the no. life or the work as far as I'm concerned. I think it's valuable in its own right just because it's interesting. But I don't think it's like the key to all mythologies, you know, of, of this of this person. And and I think the claim that this is this was the core of his life I am not totally convinced by. This goes to just like the real secret life of a writer is writing. In my very limited experience, yes, seduction is a calendar item. It takes time. But nothing <laughs> takes more time than writing does. Like, in order to write as much as John Le Carre did, like, his true activity, and this is a horror and a, you know, what we all deal with, I have spent more time in the past decade of my life at my stupid desk than anywhere else. That is my area of seduction. That is my – that is how I spend my life. And any other way to, like, to talk about the activity of a writer than that is is a fiction. Right? Like, that's that's what it is. Damn. Yes. I mean, you know, just getting back to the image of the spy, like, Nomi, have we done anything to convince you that spies are worth your attention? Is there anything? Yes. Are there ways that you'd like to see the spy thriller updated for today's world? Or are you just ready to close the book on spies as soon as we get out of here? And no, that is I, that? no, I'm not ready. I'm seduced, actually, you know, following our conversation, I'm seduced by texts that you've um, brought up, like the Americans or the Bureau, where there's a meeting point between the secret world and the real world. Because once again, it deals less with the kind of big ideas and more with the the granular texture of everyday life and where the spy comes into that. Yeah, I mean, uh, to the extent that one of Le Carre's innovations is welcoming in the world of politics and the, you know, that the great flowering of his art was the Cold War. I'm interested to see uh, what the next uh, great craftspeople of this of this art sort of do with our um, sometimes quite uh, 
dismal uh, geopolitics. <laughs> yeah, I say bring it on. You know, we're in a time where it's hard to feel allegiance to much of anything. Um, everything is like, you know, I even wonder about the right what the what the English spy thriller today would be in the in the age of Brexit when England is in such an isolated Britain is in such an isolated mm. position. Um, you know, surely, surely there must be something there, like a a spy just you know go, getting going to crossing over to to France to check out like. What are they up to in, in Paris? Or <laughs> how much does a baguette? How cost? much does a baguette cost yeah. now? Oh. Going to Brussels, like what's up Euro? with the eurozone? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like just checking out that eurozone. I mean, there, the possibilities truly really is our world <laughs> continues to shift. Are endless. <laughs> Thank you, guys. A pleasure as always. Thank you so much. Thank I you. learned so much from this episode. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to read all these books now. Thank our, you, Alex. Our listeners will. Too. What a guide. Yeah, I mean, I I stand I stand by JLC. What can I say? I feel so programmed right now. <laughs> you should. <laughs> She's running us like a little spy. <laughs> I'm playing the long game. Critics at Large is a co-production of The New Yorker and Condé Nast Entertainment. Our senior producer is Rhiannon Corby. Alex Barish is our consulting editor. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. Alexis Quadrado composed our theme music. We had engineering help today from Kirby Glass, and this episode was mixed by Mike Kutchman. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider following Critics at Large wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next Thursday. Hello there, radio listeners. It's Luke Burbank, host of LiveWire. Each week, we bring you riveting and unexpected conversations with the people behind some of the most interesting entertainment and culture out there today. Plus, we're going to introduce you to great music and outrageously funny comedy. And you get to hang with me and our announcer, Elena Passarello, as we talk about the best news of the week. So please, don't miss LiveWire. <laughs>